Hey everybody, welcome to a very special episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is my 45th birthday celebration. Are you excited, Professor Aubrey? I am so excited for your 45th birthday celebration. Yeah, and uh, what we are doing first here, we're doing kind of a travel log, and the goal here is to have a really fun weekend in Seattle, but on the way there, um, we stopped, we have stopped by Olympia, Washington, and we are in front of Sacred Ground, I think. That's right. We're at 114 Pear Street. And people are asking, why is that important? Because in 1990 and 91, a gentleman by the name of Kurt Cobain lived here and wrote a majority of Nirvana's biggest hits, including Smells Like Teen Spirit, at this apartment building. That's right. It's, it looks like it has three apartments in it. Um, yeah, apparently, according to the article that I wrote, uh, read, um, Kurt Cobain lived in uh, units two and three. Um, so he lived. Yeah, so he, he obviously moved a couple times. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, and then uh, we're, what we're doing right now, we're it's right across the street from a Washington uh, Lottery Building, and apparently, according to that article as well, uh, Kurt and Dave Grohl used to take a like a BB gun in the parking lot here and shoot the building. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so um, the reason why, I, reason why I wanted to start off with that is just, like, this is just a simple, ordinary house, but music that changed the world came from just a simple, ordinary house. And when he wrote it, I'm sure he didn't think it would reach the heights that it ultimately did. And he was just expressing himself, like yeah. any artist, you know? He was just getting it out of him. And, yeah, by doing that, he ultimately, um, you know, touched a lot of lives. So the fact that, uh, you know, like the little, the teenager in me that saw smell, that saw the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit all the way back in 92 and was completely blown away by this, would absolutely love the, love being, being able to be here today. Um, I don't even know if the people living in this building are aware of the history <laughs> Yeah, um, there's a similar... Well, I mean, there's The Goonies were filmed in um, Astoria, Oregon, on the coast. And there's the house, The Goonies' house, that was in the movie. And so lots and lots of people go there and pay homage to that movie. I wonder if it's the same kind of thing here or if nobody really knows about it. It would be interesting to know. Yeah, it would be. I mean, we can get back in the car. (laughs) People are wondering, like... A little chilly in Washington, yeah, and I'm sure the people are like, why do they have those people talking into their phone in our front yard, man? <laughs> but we wanted to, uh, we wanted to just pay our respects here because, um, I mean, for obvious reasons, Nirvana, one of the, I mean, they're the last big rock band that we probably will ever see um, that reached the heights that they did, and uh, just, you know... For my 41st birthday, wanted to stop by. So, um, like our regular travel log shows, we're going to be bouncing in and out here. It's not going to be one continuous recording like our Saturday episode. So, um, kick back, relax, enjoy this brief musical interlude, and then you'll hear us rambling again. We are back. We are in a vehicle trying to escape a state park in Tacoma, Washington. Um, we had to take a quick bathroom break and um, had to go buy some lovely, lovely 
Oh, wait, there's some geese, but we had to go to a lovely uh, porta potty to do that. We did. I think there are better bathrooms here at this park, which is a lovely park. Um, we just couldn't find them. Turn left, then turn right onto South 312th Street. That's our bossy uh, map right there. <laughs> um, we are about a uh, half hour away from uh, reaching Seattle. Um, definitely, definitely excited about that. Um, you know, our. Shut up. <laughs> um, the plan when we're going to be up there is mostly sightseeing. Um, our big goal is to uh, go to the Museum of Pop Culture. Also known as Mopop. Like that. So, um, yeah, and, and then, so, you know, like I mentioned, inter- interspersed between, we'll be uh, talking about my birthday and stuff, but, um, and also growing old, because um, as we record this, it is a day before my big 45. The big 4-5. Um, do you feel like things are going to change because this birthday? No, but I mean, like the older you get, like the more, the quicker, the more you realize that you are one year closer to death. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the quicker the previous year goes by, right? It's like things seem like they'll last forever when you're younger. And then as you get older, you're like, wait a minute, summer just started. What is going on? Yeah. Stop, stop, please. <laughs> you know, Like, uh, cause honestly, it really just feels like yesterday that we moved into our apartment. Which has been more than a year ago. Yeah, and uh, that's definitely the weird part about time that, you know, I notice. Like, yeah, like when you're a kid going through school, those eight months that you're in school uh, before summer break, or we've got a green. Um, but, sorry. <laughs> that's another part about me being a passenger. I do that too much. Anyway, but when you're a kid in school and you're you know going through school and it's boring it feels like one minute feels like 10 yeah you know one hour feels like 10 you know 10 hours and stuff like that but yet now it's like the good times happen and just before you know it oh that took three years (laughs) right or like oh i remember that just happened or i just did that but no it it really was a long time ago yeah, now, um, what were you doing on your big 45? So that was two years ago? Yep. So that would have been May? Yeah, 2019, we hadn't met yet. June, July, August, September, October. Um, I feel like I was about to go to Europe, um for a little vacation that I took that summer and um yeah I was living in Vancouver in a big mid-century house and mostly I had a roommate yeah just normal life normal normal life yeah um yes so I mean and you definitely had some uh, great adventures in Europe um during that time, and we're going to have some great adventures this week. I am really, really excited about uh, about Mopop more than anything. Yes, me too. Now, you've been there before, right? I have, um, three times. Alright, what would you say is your favorite exhibit there? I really like the rooms that you can go in and play musical instruments, and I really like the... Um, you can record like with your own band playing instruments, but they somehow make you sound like you're doing good. 
and you make a music video. Yeah, the, a big problem with that though is that during the pandemic, that part of the museum is closed. Oh, really? The play with the instruments, anything where you have to touch stuff, I guess. Interactive. I mean, and it, and it makes sense. I checked the, um, I checked their website before we arrived. I mean, that definitely would have been cool. But um, you know, seeing a lot of the me- uh, movie memorabilia, like uh, you know, being able to see Dorothy's dress. You know, going back in our archives, we had our uh, episode on the Wizard of Oz. So, kind of uh, being able to see what Judy Garland had to wedge herself into every day to film that movie uh, will definitely be interesting absolutely and you know there's other cool stuff from other cool movies and they have a fantasy um and sci-fi section that is really cool also the um, traveling exhibit that is currently on display is the magic of disney through costuming and so there'll be lots and lots of disney related costumes can you go further in the carpool lane, jack off? My goodness. Some old guy in a BMW SUV just shouldn't be driving, should have his license taken away and be put in a home, but oh, he's he is got a driving. Sticker too. And, uh, it's like that South Park episode. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, the more you drive, the crankier you get and just yeah, was like part of our most of our drive up here was like, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> but uh yeah, we're uh, like I like I mentioned, we are uh, slowly getting there. We're about a half hour away, I should say, depending on traffic, give or take, um, to arriving to our hotel, and then from there, once we uh, get in, um, yeah, like what did you have planned for tonight? What were we gonna do? I mean, obviously eat. Right, and that's probably like our big organizing principle. So once we get to the hotel and dump our stuff and sort of check that out. Um, I thought we could try to figure out where we might eat and make our way there, maybe on foot or using public transportation. Um, We could also um, walk down to Pike Place or walk over to Jack London Square and sort of look at Seattle sort of city center. Nice. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is definitely something I would want to do. Um, and, but yeah, just, all right, like I said, I'm excited. This is a uh, first time in Seattle for me, even though I've lived close by it now for <laughs> almost six years, over six years now. So, uh, getting a chance to visit the sites. And there's also a, a couple sites I want to check out too in Seattle, uh, that are Nirvana related, going back to, um, how we open the show, going to, uh, Kurt Cobain's old apartment, you know, it'd be cool to kind of, uh, see maybe some of the sites. I guess there's a park uh, there called Verletta Park or something like that that uh, he used to um, go to often to, you know, like just think and uh, ended up writing some songs there too. So um, I'm definitely excited. And uh, also too, it'd be cool to see where like the Mariners play because that's where WrestleMania 19 was held, um, Steve Austin's last match. I see. Well, we can definitely um, check out the 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 um, Seattle. What do they call it? The sports ball stadium. <laughs> I don't know. The sports ball stadium. We can definitely look at it with our eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to go inside or anything like that. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. The, but uh, it'll it'll be. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited. So let's do this. We're almost there. Let's cut to a musical interlude, and when we pick up, it will be later in time. 
All right, we are back and we are checked into our hotel room at the moment. Hotel with an age. <laughs> fancy, fancy place. And um, got some free cheese. It's here. We got some coffee we can make in the morning and a nice GE microwave to <laughs> cook the cheese it's in, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need. Is a, It's the smallest microwave I've ever seen. It's also the smallest coffee maker I've ever seen. And the freest bag of cheese its I've ever seen. Yeah, sir. about three in there but uh we are officially in seattle at the moment um we are on the second floor so not too big but one thing i noticed that really kind of pissed me off is that like right outside their window there is a light a street light and on top of that they put damn spikes on there so the birds don't have a place to rest i mean how ridiculous is that that's pretty ridiculous they do it in portland too just never happened to be at this at this level yeah yeah i mean i guess the birds are too homeless you know yeah <laughs> i mean j- just like w- it, w- like i i can understand maybe if there w- if there was so much bird population here that you know it would like litter the ground like a guana pit or something like guano pit but there come on we're talking pigeons here it cannot have been that bad that it really justified that this is just cities hate pigeons one of my book ideas is to write a book about pigeons the natural history of the pigeon because i think they're fascinating and in different countries they look different but they're always these urban city birds and they've just really well adapted to living in cities and you gotta think too like push comes to shove they do look like beefy little things like if you had if if like a rat versus a pigeon i don't know who would win but you would eat a rat I wouldn't eat a pigeon or a rat. I meant if they were in a fight. Oh, in a fight. Uh, I was talking about eating. <laughs> you know, like how homeless were you, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> Have to eat the pigeons. <laughs> Come here, no. But uh, no, that did really annoy me. But there is also a pretty cool dog park across the street where uh, Seattle folks are um, doing their doing their business with their dogs. But we are going to be taking a walking tour here soon to get some food. That's right, we are. We're going to have the best burgers in Seattle, and um, we're going to go see the REI Mothership. Yes, because um, <laughs> thanks to the United States Postal Service, your raincoat arrived after we left for Seattle. That's right. Just right after we left for Seattle. And, of course, it is raining here. Yes. Uh, I mean, by rain at the moment, it's just more of a little drizzle. So it's actually the, the type of rain I like. The rain, rain that annoys me is the rain that, like, it's so hard that it, like, soaks through. Even if you have, like, weatherproof stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we're going to be doing uh, some walking, talking, and then, uh, yeah, going from there. But we wanted to give you a quick check-in. Anything you wanted to say before we cut to the musical interlude? Well, as we drove into Seattle, it was absolutely gorgeous to see the city. It's been a while since I've seen the city skyline. And I always forget how much bigger Seattle is than Port. Portland, but it's actually Seattle that I came to first mm-hmm. before I ever went to Portland. And so it was always my sort of first love of places I thought about living. Um, but it never, it's just never worked out that I've lived here. Um, but I love Seattle. 
I would definitely, I mean, if, like, I had the money, I mean, because, like, Portland is bad enough to live in, I mean, Seattle would, you know, price us both out, and that, that's not even taking into account my horrible credit, you know, <laughs> so, um, you know, the show would have to hit big, I'd have to sell a book, a lot of stuff would have to happen for that move to occur, but it, you know. It would be cool if it did. It did. I mean, because overall, it is a nice town, and I do like. I mean, they do have a much better uh, public transit system than Portland, and that is saying something. And um, you know, the fact that you got so much here, um, whether it be, you know, like major companies or you know, sporting events. We d- drove by the place where the Seattle Mariners play, um, but for wrestling fans, of course, uh, they're going to know that more as the home of WrestleMania 19 and where the Royal Rumble was supposed to be. Uh, this past year. And did you plan on coming to it? Um, well, like if there was no pandemic and the Royal Rumble occurred, that would have been cool to come for because that would probably Royal Rumble and WrestleMania would probably be like the last live WWE events I would really want to see just to say I've been to one. Mm. Um, you know, but. Uh, you know, who knows, but, but yeah, so much history here, but yeah. Yeah, so many cool things to see and do, so let's so, get going. Let's do it. Let's kick back, and we are going to leave, but we're going to cut to musical interlude. so hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, welcome back. As we record this, it is Saturday, September 18th. 45 years ago on this date, Lily Tomlin was hosting Saturday Night Live and a momentous occurrence in human history occurred in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This tall son bitch was born. So we're here. We're here. It is morning and uh, the professor is looking at exact maps uh, to lead us to Mopop. That's right. I've just found the way. We now know the way. The way. All right. So we are heading in that direction. You can probably hear all the background noise going on here in the lovely city of Seattle. Um, but since the last time you've been here, do you notice any major changes? Absolutely. Um, there's lots more development. We're right here in the middle of Antioch University, actually, which I've been to before because my friend taught there. But... There's a lot of development in this part of town. Okay, cool. And, uh, I mean, I definitely love the... I, I love the presence of public transit. I mean, a town that has a good public transit is one that really does take the time to have services available for the rich and the poor, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame that more cities don't take time to invest in that because I think if they did invest in their uh, public transit, that investment would benefit the city tenfold, if not more, in terms of the revenue that could occur because people have more flexibility. Absolutely. I mean, I think that people getting to work and also to the store and all of those things, they didn't need cars for that. That's huge expense that you don't have to maintain. Yeah, and not everybody has the cash to get a decent car or two, if they do, to properly maintain it all, at all times. I mean, that's why I gave up uh, by, uh, focusing on a car, really, because, you know, with my credit, the way it is, there was not going to be a chance where I was going to have something resembling a reasonable car. So, you know, being able to walk, I think, and being able to live in a city with good public transit has definitely been a good trade-off. Absolutely. 
Yes, so we are walking, as I mentioned, to the Museum of Pop Culture. When we get in there, we're going to have you join along with us. Absolutely. That will... (laughs) All I can say is absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we'll just have it on loop. You know, I just just talk and then ask for a... I just say absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. But you love it. Oh, we are taking a right. All right, all these... This is like Portland, but like Portland grown-up Petri dish, and you let let to grow longer? No, it's more that there's more money up here, so there are more corporate headquarters and more like fabulously wealthy people as we walk down the street that has nothing but um, Audis parked on it. <laughs> um, it's different from Portland in that way. Like We don't have rich people like Seattle has rich people. Yeah, I mean, they do have uh, the two evil empires that are based uh, up here, both Amazon and, uh, well, actually three, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, and Starbucks. That's right. Yeah, and uh, us in Portland, we get lily old Nike. And Columbia Sportswear. Well, I don't know if they have as big of a brand recognition as Nike, though. He oh. says as he wears a Columbia Sportswear jacket. <laughs> they absolutely don't, but they're the second biggest company with its headquarters in Portland. Gotcha. It's world headquarters. Yeah, so... All right, so we are... Do we know where it's at? I mean, is it within sight here? Or? No, it's not within sight. We're not close to it yet. Okay. As you can tell, I'm a little anxious here, but... Okay. <laughs> Can we cross first and go there? Okay. Yeah. People, people, people. All right. Let's What's just. Different in Seattle, there's people everywhere. Yes. In downtown Portland, there are no people because everybody, nobody is going there. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, all right, let's do this. We will cut to a quick musical interlude. I will have more to say at the Museum of Pop Culture, obviously, so hang tight. All right, we are inside Mopop, and we are entering the Sci-Fi Hall of Fame. Oh, nice. We got... Mulder and Scully's badges. She was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Wow. Went to uh, the, the same community college I did. That is fascinating. Yeah. And we got a head here. I don't know if this was used on set or anything like that. I assume it was. And we got the Tron outfit. That's the Tron costume. Yeah, like most of Tron. Everybody thinks Tron from 82 is like this big computer thing, but it was shot in black and white. Essentially, they animated over the outfits to make it look like they did. Right, exactly. So we have um, Jack Vance. I am not familiar with him. We have a manuscript that he typed up. So, Oh, my goodness. Leonard Nimoy's original... I think this is from the first um, pilot. Really? Yeah, yeah, look at it. The tunic. In a different uh, Starfleet Fleet logo. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Wow. Oh, get your get pictures, pictures. For you, take pictures. But we are looking at the exhibit commemorating Steven Spielberg, and it looks like we have in... I don't know, is this legit, or...? It has to be. It has to be legit, yeah. 
But we have Indiana Jones hat and the staff that he used to find the Ark of the Covenant. Staff of Ra. Okay. We do have a Stanley one over here. Iron Man. Iron Man's um, headpiece. Yes. So it looks like. Again, I'm not sure if this is actually. Yeah, it was. Stunt helmet for the film Iron Man. We're looking at one, or, one of Iron Man's helmets here. Wow. So let me head back here. Yeah, so this is the leather jacket he wore on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And look it over here. Look it over here. <sighs> Luke Skywalker's hand and his lightsaber from the Empire Strikes Back. Picture, picture, picture. That is awesome. That is amazing. I never um, would expect to see the severed hand. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Let's uh, head back over here for a second. Okay. Just wanted to double check on that, but yeah, it's so far so good. What is this? Lost in Space, um, Bill Mummy, the guy who wrote Fish Heads. He, he was one of the Barnes and Barnes, did the song Fish Heads. He did Fish Heads. Oh. But he was also on Lost in Space. He was Will Robinson. Oh, and Will Robinson. The, hey, Will Robinson. And the reason John Williams is here is that John Williams did the score for that show. Oh. And he was Johnny Williams. Dr. Zayas. <laughs> picture, picture, we need a picture. But this is awesome. We got the tribute to Rod Serling here, who wrote Planet of the Apes movies, and we have their prosthetic makeup for Dr. Zaius. We have a sword as used in the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes, this was used in Return of the King, used by one of the nine ring wraiths. So it's a ring wraith sword. Oh. What do you think so far? It's pretty interesting. All right, we have Okay, we have <laughs> This is the Jules Verne um, Obviously Big time author But we're looking at uh, a, a coat Worn by one of the cast members James Mason from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea Yes And we got we got some Dune exhibits we got Matrix exhibits want to get a close up look at if we can't uh oh <laughs> looking now at the shooting script for Alien Ridley Scott and uh, right next to that is the exhibit for Philip K. Dick, and we have an outfit worn by Sean Young in the film. Where is Aubrey? We got prosthetic from the Matrix. Yeah, that's so creepy. Yeah. That can you take a shot of this? <laughs> 
Okay. Cool. This is the shooting script for Alien. Oh, wow. Take a picture, picture. Yeah. All right, let's exit out of here. Okay. Did you get a picture of Dr. Zayas? Yes. Okay, cool. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Isaac Asimov's typewriter. Yeah, Isaac, he wrote I robot on this electric typewriter. <laughs> nice. That was cool. Head this way next, but that was fun to see. Yeah, that was cool. All right. Oh. Got a theater in here, and they're playing Unplugged by Nirvana. Let's check it out. Let's take a break. Yeah. All right, we'll cut to Miss Gunner Loot. All right, we are back. We are out of Mopop. As you may have surmised when uh, we had the recording going on, there was a lot of activity in that building. And we figured after uh, the previous little thing you heard that you probably didn't want to hear us go, oh, cool, look at that. Oh, cool, look at that for, you know, however long. So um, we will have a bunch of pictures up on all of our social media platforms about that. But overall... I think it was a wonderful time. It was great seeing uh, so much living history of the 20th century uh, in person. Absolutely. It really was great to see just all of the creative energy that went into creating all of the things that we saw. And it was so diverse. And you just think about the people behind, say, a single costume and how how much work went into that and how much human creativity. Because they just come up with that stuff out of their brains. And then it becomes part of our collective consciousness yeah i mean like the fun part about seeing stuff like this like the nirvana and pearl jam exhibits uh, for instance was the whole demystification of musical genius what do i mean by that it's they're average people they're normal people you know they just happen to write songs that touched people that doesn't make them and somehow got heard at the yeah. right time in the right place and they somehow were completely emotionally available for that to happen. You know, I mean, I, it's just like every good thing that happens in life, you can trace it back through so many different choices and just shit that happened. Yeah, and I think ultimately the the thing that stuck with me more than anything was the just remembering that these were people that, you know, like Kurt Cobain, Eddie Vedder probably had nine to five jobs. When, they probably you know, had really crappy jobs and they were probably miserable. Yeah, they just were average, they, but they kept plugging away. And that was, I think, the they big... Oh, tours, right? You know, people who have something inside of them that must come out regardless. Yeah, so, and yeah, I mean, it's they were able to, in the case of uh, Nirvana and Pearl Jam, of course, able to take that, uh, you know, platinum-selling albums, world tours, MTV, all that stuff. But that wasn't their goal their goal was to just put that music out to the world and they did and you know for them it ultimately they reaped the benefits many times over but you don't create 
for like, the financial benefits. Yeah, and I mean, it's so clear with people like Kurt. It wasn't the financial success he experienced really had very little effect on his internal life. Uh, if anything, it probably made his life a lot worse, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that is Mopops, and Mopop was definitely fun, but, uh, we, yeah, we'll kick to another musical interlude, and, uh, we'll go from there. Okay. All right, we are finally back in a vehicle, not surrounded by the entire city of Seattle, wanting to be as close to us as physically possible. That is the weird thing about Seattle. There are a lot of people, and they don't know the meaning of personal space. (laughs) So it's like, uh, yeah, just a lot of... With my anxiety the way it is, a lot of uh, big-time crowd situations, especially since the pandemic started, have been a little uh, high in the anxiety list. And when you have that large amount of people uh, anywhere, it it just makes me go cuckoo bananas, let's put it that way. But um, like I said, we're in a vehicle. We are traveling to our next destination. And... um, this destination, once I found out it was in Seattle, it was non-negotiable. I had to go here. Um, we found we found the house that Kurt Cobain lived in for his final days. And um, that is, to me, that's like a pilgrimage. You know, he, for the impact that he had on me, I mean, like for our age, even if you didn't like Nirvana, Nirvana had an impact on our lives. Absolutely. Um, Nirvana was the soundtrack of my high school days, for absolutely sure. Yeah, I mean, again, I'll I'll not try and proclaim that I'm the biggest Nirvana fan in the world, but, I mean, how can you not, like, you know, they're they're singles at the very least. I mean, Smells Like Teen Spirit was big for a reason, and it was... The big reason was that it was a palate cleanser from the pre-processed, um, the pre-processed, uh, music that we we had at that particular time whether it be pop whether it be rock everything was too crisp too clean too perfect and then nirvana came along with a bunch of cheerleaders with tattoos and just kicked the the, you know just turned the whole music world upside down so um if you think about what was happening before then you know we had prince who was the late 80s um was active during that time who else was really the sort of mainstream um in the late 80s early 90s yeah um well i mean like of course like the hard rock i love the hard rock and hair metal were big so you have your motley crews you have your deaf leopards um groups like that of course in pop you had your madonna's uh late 80s cindy lopper was uh, mm-hmm. definitely on the lower end but she still had a couple of hits um and then of so course michael like jackson candy floss pop and then here comes nirvana with this edgy sound that no one had heard before yeah, it was completely different. I mean, the, the Smells Like Teen Spirit video blew me away the first time I saw it. Yeah, me too. I remember just, like, standing in front of the TV just with my my mouth open. Same here. Like, it, yeah. it, it might... Li- like, whoa, what my, just happened? Yeah, my jaw literally dropped when I saw that because, again, every, even the videos were 
like processed. They were, sh- and that's that's not to knock the music in the in the music videos from that era, but it is a fact that the music the music industry at times when they exert too much control and try to change the will of the people on their own and not let the people determine what is good music and what isn't, things start getting bad. Absolutely. Yeah, so um yeah, so we are like I mentioned going to be heading to the house. We are driving there right now. Um I'll start. I mean, like uh, I've, the, the news that he um you know killed himself came out a couple days later. He killed himself on April 8th of 1994 and uh 2 days later I think is when he was found and it was alerted to the world. Now, in Grand Rapids at the time, I that was junior in high school and I had gotten home from school that day. It was a weekday and I liked to have um the local uh, NBC station with TV8. Uh, they had um a TV show uh, a new show called Live at 5 30 uh that my sister and i used to try and call in because they would have guests that's where i actually um asked uh david eisenhower about uh president nixon after um his wife died ah interesting yeah so um the start of that program happened and then um a douchebag reporter by the name of tom van howe who um people in grand rapids know who he is but guy almost ran me over a couple years later but he came on and you know announced it and i was like what the fuck and then turned to MTV immediately, and um, it, it it was like a it, it was like a movie in a sense because turning it to MTV, it it was like it was primed and ready for me to watch that footage of you know Kurt Loder. You know, inter- you know, s- s- basically what happened that day is like Kurt Loder says, you know, Kurt Cobain tragically killed himself, and then they played um, Nir- Nirvana unplugged on loop for a couple of days. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, and just, like, for a good week after that, like, I was just so sad. Again, I wasn't a, the biggest Nirvana fan at the time, but when you're a junior in high school and you see a guy that, like, Kurt Cobain at the time was probably, what, 10 years older than me at the time, maybe? At the at the prime of his life at the prime of his life changing the musical landscape not many people can say they've done that over over throughout history and he did it and yet life was just it, it, he he couldn't go on and that was so sad and i think the park that um we're going to be visiting as well is the park where um a couple days afterwards uh there was a big vigil uh that happened and then um courtney love they had speakers up and courtney love uh took that time to um uh, come on jack off thank you <laughs> listen to me all somber and then i call the guy a jack off um <laughs> right i'm so moved asshole yeah fucker um Anyway, it's, yeah, just her reading that um, suicide note and reacting the way she did. Like, I think for as much as Courtney Love has made a lot of mistakes in her life and she'd be the first to say that, I think that was the best thing she will probably ever do. Yeah, I think that was the right thing to do. And I think she recognized how much people loved him and needed needed that and I think because of her own mental health challenges and Kurt's that she had an appreciation for those people who were going to be sort of tossed off the edge because of you know because Kurt made that choice and that is the weird thing about celebrity too like even when Kurt was alive the chances of like you and I 
not only interacting with him or becoming friends with him, uh, like those chances were minutely infinitesimal, you know, and yet because of his music, we have an emotional connection with him that is, if you think about it on the face of it, is weird. (laughs) Well, it's more that um, it feels like not that I knew him, but that he knew me and he cared about me. Do you know what I mean? Like he cared about the same things I cared about and wanted the world to be a better place like I did. Yeah, I mean cuz like he was of of the celebrities I followed at that age, he was like the first one that was, you know, speaking out against like women speaking out for women's rights, um gay rights, um just generally leave people the fuck alone and um fighting uh, authoritarianism and fascism. I really felt yeah, I mean, like, he would do things like do concerts in a dress, and, in, like, I, I think part of it was that he was more comfortable in a dress on stage, which makes sense. If you're up on stage for two and a half, three hours doing a show, you want to... Be comfortable. Be comfortable, yeah, and I can imagine with a dress, you know, it would be comfortable not having jeans or anything like that on um, during a hot, hot concert, especially if it was a show at, like... Um, uh, if it was a show at like a smaller club, because like a stadium show or an arena show, I think you know there might be a ch- depending on the age of the arena, of course, there might be a better chance for cooling. And then, of course, the more popular Nirvana got, I know that big bands like that do have like like fans that they can strategically strategically put on stage in order to um, you know stay cool um, like that. But you know when they were doing clubs. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, it was potentially more than that. It was potentially more than wanting just to be comfortable. Like, um, it can feel really good and subversive to wear the clothes that you want, even though they're not the clothes that are expected for you to be wearing. Even if you're not genderqueer or um, transgender or in other ways, like, you know, there is something about the expression of the feminine and that being a thing that's enjoyable for people, even, um, like, the, the depiction of masculinity is really fun for me. I love getting dressed up in a very butch way. Um, it feels good to me to express my gender in that way. So, um, and I'm not transgender or non-binary. I'm just, um, you know, regular old woman. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that's the thing with Kurt, too. Even with the dress on, you know, like, guys that have done that in the past in terms of musicians that have done that sometimes did it for the joke aspect of it and he did not do that yeah i mean it was just what he wanted to fucking wear yep so um yeah and again like we like we've uh, mentioned before too i mean the uh, you know seeing like the apartment where he wrote those nirvana songs in olympia you know just again you know just it's okay to have a hero but re- remember that the hero is just a person yeah, and has the same concerns, everyday concerns that we all do about, you know, where and how we live and the people that we love and um, what we're doing with our lives, you know. We all have those same pressures. Mm-hmm. All right, so it looks like we are almost to our destination. So what I think I will do right now is give you all a musical interlude. And when you hear us next, we are going to be on sacred ground.
All right, we are in the neighborhood, and I'm already tearing up. <laughs> didn't, reali- didn't realize how emotional it was going to be being here. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so strange to think of him living here. It's a very fancy neighborhood, right on Lake Washington. Um, it's the it's on the loop road that goes all around the lake. That's like do, you have your, do you have your phone? Yeah. Okay, because we definitely need to take pictures. Um, we are crossing the street to, um, I forgot the name of the park, but, uh, there's a park next door to his final house and, um, he used to come here and just sit. So we're going to go sit on the bench and look at the view. We're going to go sit on the bench and look at the view that he would have been looking at. There's some gifts here already. Some blue moon beer. And some flowers. We didn't bring anything. We brought ourselves. We brought ourselves. And uh, this is a memorial bench. People from all over the world come here and see it. And I see the house now. Wow. This is really, really heavy, folks. Um, Yeah. Someone left a marker. (laughs) Someone left a marker. Um, This, uh, yeah, we again are here. So I'm going to cut to a musical interlude and compose myself, and we'll be right back. Definitely a little composed um, and didn't get a super clear shot of the house. I mean, in a neighborhood like this, they build them that way. <laughs> so um, it's a gorgeous old um, bungaloid mansion, essentially, but it's very bungalow, very sort of Swiss bungalow looking. Something like that. Beautiful and, um, cedar shake roof. Yeah, I guess, if I remember correctly, I guess it happened. There was a room above the garage Mm. where it happened. And I think we're looking at it now. Mm. Yeah. It's just, maybe it's inappropriate. I don't know. But just want to say that if you're feeling alone and misunderstood, reach out to somebody um, yeah, it is Suicide uh, Prevention Month, of course, and, um, you know, we a couple weeks back on our Saturday episode, we did uh, talk about, you know, uh, like the wrestler Daphne, um, you know, killing herself, unfortunately, so we have been trying to make a point this month of talking about that, because, obviously, you know, we are here at a monument of a place of what happens when you don't talk about it, sadly. Yeah, I mean, who knows what would have what was going on in his life and what would have made a difference. But, you know, I mean, Tim and I are always around and would love to hear from you. Um, and 
And there are other people in your life too, I'm sure. You just have to look for them and be open. Um, be open to the world because there's a lot of good stuff out here and um, it's worth experiencing as much of it as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, he made a, he made a tragic choice that yeah. day and, you know, it, it happened and, you know, for as much as everybody involved, especially his immediate family would love to just rewind the clock, go back and make sure it didn't happen. We are here. And I think really the best way to honor his legacy is just, just live life. Fuck shit up and have fun, I say. Yeah. So kind of a, kind of a somber moment here, folks. But again, like I said, this is, this is a place that you you have to visit you have i mean if if you were affected by his music in any way shape or form and you are in seattle you come pay your respects yeah it's definitely worth it i've never done this um though and many times i've been to seattle i've never sought this out um but it is very meaningful to be here yeah just uh I don't think this was the park where, because now that I think about it, because the park that uh, Courtney Love did the whole uh, reading the suicide letter thing, I think that was a different park in town. Maybe it was the other park that's across the street. It's possible, um, but I I don't need to visit that, but just, anyway, um, yeah, happy birthday to (laughs) But this is, was important for me because, again, it, it is a reminder to be happy to live life to make the most of it as you can because you don't know when it's going to end no matter how and much we, we don't know the alternative right yeah so as far as we know this is all we got so let's like suck the marrow from it damn right so is yeah i think right now what we'll do is we'll go to another musical interlude here but just the, uh, once again if you have a chance to come here to pay your respects do so respectfully obviously don't try and go onto the actual property where the house is it is a private home um, so don't do that but you can there there is a nice park um that again Kurt Cobain came to and sat and reflected and thought and just mellowed out um and and being here you can't you feel that sort of serenity that is possible to achieve in a beautiful natural setting yeah so if, again, if you're listening to this and you are going through some struggles and, you know, the, the topic that we talked about is maybe touching a nerve, like it, like we said, take some time to talk to somebody if, if you are dealing with some troubles because, um, you know, like if he could come back, I think he would say, yeah, probably I don't missed do out that. on that. I mi- he probably would say I missed out on some stuff that I didn't want to miss out on. Yeah. Especially because he had young kids. Yeah, so a young kid. Young kid, yeah. Yeah, so. All right, I think we will, like I said, cut to a musical interlude. So, hang tight. All right, welcome back. We are back in our hotel room, hotel with an H. And, uh,. And uh, we are just kicking back and relaxing after taking a nice stroll through parts of downtown Seattle. We went to uh, Pike Street Market? Pike Place Market. 
Yeah, it was uh, definitely a trippy place to be, that Pike Place Market. I mean, it, it does have the vibes of, like, the early 1900s, the late 1800s. And um, in a lot of ways, that type of retail environment makes a lot more sense than how cities are set up today. Doesn't it, though? And it allows small businesses to thrive instead of consolidating everything into one shop. And you could tell just how easy, you know, I was just talking about this with um, my realtor, George, who's a friend of the show. Hi, George, if you're listening. Um, And George and I were talking about the fact that, um, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I forgot what I was talking about. About the centralized location of... Oh, right, yeah, how, like, cities have changed. And it used to be that in every neighborhood you'd have a locksmith, a a shoe repair place, a beauty salon, a barbershop. You know, like five or six, you know, businesses that every neighborhood had. You know, cleaners. um, And those kinds of services we don't have anymore like electronics repair place so a lot of those kinds of businesses don't exist anymore and what is left in the cities when you look at sort of redeveloped areas what they have in them is restaurants bars coffee shops and personal services like hair and waxing and massages etc yeah i actually saw a youtube video that uh kind of talked about the same things about um it was the i forgot the channel and you know later we can look for it but uh this guy uh is a like essentially a major bike supporter and uh he was making uh videos contrasting like europe uh traffic you know how it is in europe compared to how it is here and the fact that the united states in 99 percent of the country is built for primarily a car related place um it makes it hard on everybody financially you know, especially the poor, poor people, the poor people, the ones that get screwed when they don't have, um, you know, the, the, you know, like a strip mall type of place. Cause what the guy in the video showed is that a lot of times those old like strip malls, like one, one story strip malls and whatnot, um, you know, those tend to always generally remain active whereas you have areas um, where a major retail chain puts a store in and then after 10 years, it's a desert and it goes away and then <coughs> excuse me and then that city of course has nothing at that point whereas if one one person run, goes out of business like a key the person who makes a keep key place has a, has a thing in a strip mall and he's 75 and he retires and sells his business true that 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 individual building may be gone for a little bit but the other buildings are there to you know pay to you know keep everything up and running in terms of utilities and all that and it will eventually get filled right yeah and maybe it doesn't have to be strip malls right it could be places like pike street market or pike place market um or other like we have some community halls in in Portland for restaurants, and that works really well. That's a very European idea, this idea that you have a bunch of different restaurants and a big place to sit where you eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, other things about Europe that are so different is that they had a canal system before they ever had roads. They depended on canals. And where there are canal systems, there are paths because there were mules pulling the canals down the canal streets. Um, 
so now the canals still exist they're not used for commerce but the paths right next to them can be used by bicyclists and walkers to get all over the country without having to share the road Mm -hmm. which also means that cars can go faster because they don't have to share the road so um there was a different definite difference i did rent a car in england and I terrified myself by driving around like I shouldn't have been driving around. It was so dangerous. And the roads there are really narrow. But anyway, um, when I was on the highways, uh, they were fast. Very busy and very, very fast highways. Yeah, like the Autobahn is like, what, 90, 100 miles an hour? You can go really fast there. Yeah, you can go really fast in England, too. And um, But then when you get into the... Uh, cities where people are it's much more human scale like there are little shops and you know the ex- the existing medieval town um, so like I went to Oxford and found the high street in Oxford and it was great it was like two miles long and full of different shops selling different stuff doing different things um, and I like that about Pike Place Market and I like that when you can find it in Portland, Portland is in such a state of new development that um, a lot of neighborhoods, I think, are improving but feeling growing pains and maybe have more people than they have services at this point. And that ultimately is the problem in the United States, at least. I mean, you got some areas like you know, essentially your big cities, Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, that do invest in, you know, um, like I was watching an old ad- episode of Adam Ruins Everything, and one of them was a traffic uh, episode, and uh, the, the traffic planner in Los Angeles talked about how they ended up closing down some roads in Los Angeles to make it a, a pedestrian walkway and a park or, or something like that, and and they found that the more spots like that you create, the more spots you give people to stay downtown to do things other than just shop, they're going to stay longer and they're going to spend more money. Well, and during the pandemic, Portland did that in a number of places. So not only downtown where they closed one whole street for, I think, four blocks, which is now a lovely, it's full of tables and chairs and it's a lovely pedestrian corridor. Um, and it doesn't, I mean, I drive downtown whenever I go downtown. I pretty much drive unless I ride my bike, which I don't do very often. So I mostly drive downtown and um, it hasn't affected traffic at all. And then they did similar things in other neighborhoods, but they were only temporary. But it re- they really make sense. Like even when they had the, the street in Kenton closed, Denver, which is a, a busy street, mm-hmm. it's easy to go a block out of, block out of the way to avoid and it's just so nice to be able to sit out and eat and not be um right next to a street with cars on it yeah i mean and it's proving that that to your point it's not going to be that much of an inconvenience here because what i what i think is a good idea is not let's make us a bike country per se because cars definitely have their benefits you know i think what not everybody can bike I mean, lots and lots of people can't bike. Kids can't bike. Elderly people can't bike. Lots of people in the middle can't bike. 
But if we do a more of a uh, like a hybrid focus in terms of, you know, pr- having you know appropriate spaces for cars, but creating more space for people to, um, whether that be through you know, in, like we've talked about before, investing in public transit, um, or increase you know increasing you know parks, walkways, closing specific roads to you know do what we talked just talked about here. Um, there are things that can be done to make it easier to. Lived in a downtown area because you know from what I'm seeing from what I'm seeing here is like in in the big cities Portland Seattle it's like you can you, you since you have that flexibility to be able to just hop on a train to go to the store or go to a Pike Place market and do all your shopping there you know um, compared to a Grand Rapids to where you do have to pretty much go out of your way to <laughs> go to a store to do some shopping you know it, it's just much much easier and you know it's I, I just wish more cities in this country need to take advantage of that and I, I, I know for some town like a one road town obviously something like that's not going to be needed but you know Grand Rapids could would have definitely spent a lot more on their public transit system because it was a sin that public transit stops at six o'clock at night. Yeah, I mean that's just for commuters. Yeah, public and- transit that ends at six is for well-paid commuters. It's not for people that need to get to and from their shitty job. Yeah, and it's it it yeah. I mean, it, again, the point is, you invest more in that stuff, you're going to give poor people more flexibility to be able to get, you know, better paying jobs, to be able to shop at better places, and when that happens, that helps the economy. You know. Oh well, poor people are the engine. I mean, poor the poorer you are, the more you contribute by percentage to the GDP. Maybe not to the GDP. I don't know. I don't know about GDP. I don't know why I said that. What I mean, though, is you basically every dollar you get, you have to spend to survive. Um, So you're contributing 100% of your available cash to circulating in the economy. Wealthy people take their money out of the economy and invest it in various ways. Um, So that consumer economy that we have built in America is built on... People who don't make very much money. Yeah, and the more you make make the the, the you know surviving that much of an imposition as it already is on poor people in terms of you know trying to keep up a vehicle that should no longer be you know illegally on the road in terms of you know going out of their way to get decent food you know because food deserts are very much a thing you know poor you know there's that perception that poor people just sit back and eat junk food all the time and that is not the case i mean it like i remember a neighborhood we lived in we lived in a food desert and like for their excuse of a vegetable section was kind of gross you know and just it it's it's the we will never get into a spot where there's going to be true equality, but we can, we can demand better and we can keep fighting for a lot better because the poor people in this country, the minorities in this country, um, the disadvantaged in this country, um, it's going to get to a point to where people are going to say enough. And we're already seeing a little bit of it. I mean, look at the states that, you know, took back the unemployment benefits. And this is my birthday celebration, folks. I hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, look at the states that took away the employment benefits. Um, Word came out that people are still not taking jobs and good for them, you know, because now is the time to where if people just 
if you have a little patience, if you can grit your teeth through some of this, I think if people in our positions, the poor folks, can fight back a little bit harder. Maybe we can get some more equity. Because look, look at what happened to Amazon. All of a sudden, Amazon is now offering to fully pay the college scholarships of, of their employees. They didn't do that before. And wages are improving. I mean, you can look at advertisements all the time and that are hiring at $15 an hour before they need to. Like, it will be minimum wage in Oregon soon. But um, $15 an hour, I've seen $18 an hour for which is closer to what things should be paid, you know, still nowhere near being able to afford a place to live in Portland. Yeah, $15 an hour is not is not going to get you any apartment. You know, it's not like back in the day, back in Grand Rapids, like I had a studio apartment for 250 bucks a month in the 90s. How many people would, you know, like take out their own grandmother for a studio apartment? for that cost because i i can imagine now if 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 i looked um at at rent at that particular apartment that 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 studio apartment grand is probably now around a thousand to fifteen hundred i i wouldn't doubt it and it's not worth that at all it wasn't worth 250 bucks i bet it's not a thousand it's still in grand rapids you know have you met the dutch people in grand rapids no oh man they like antwerp there I've met a lot of people from Grand Rapids that know how to strangle some pennies. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 also to the neighborhood I lived in, the Heritage Hill neighborhood, the you know the because we've been in other neighborhoods and you kind of you have a rough idea of what the Heritage Hill neighborhood is without being there, you know the type of houses and whatnot. But because they're the older houses, the more well upkept houses, antique houses near the Frank Lloyd Wright House in Grand Rapids, um, it I, there are definitely landlords that you know will take advantage of that. Got you. Well, so if you think about somebody making $15 an hour, they're working 40 hours a week. They're bringing home how much a month? $2,400 before taxes and other deductions. And so if they're paying $1,000 a month in rent, they have, they're paying more than 50% of their take-home pay in rent, one single expense. That doesn't account for utilities, healthcare costs, um, dental costs you know my gosh should people have dental care like it's very expensive like how is that yeah dental care too like how is that uh, optional (laughs) right why isn't that like medical care what kind of decision have we made as a society that we don't care about people's teeth but we care about people's health like we didn't know that much about dentistry when Medicare started. I mean, I think we knew some things, but people didn't regularly go to the dentist back in the day. Like, I'd say my grandparents probably never really went to the dentist. But admittedly, they didn't have to deal with the type of foods that we did now. <laughs> they were much healthier than I am, for sure, just because of the way that they lived and how they grew up and um, the options they had available to them were all healthy ones. It was like, you want something? Walk three miles to the store. Okay. You want something? You need to work to earn money to buy that thing. Like, you know, you're just always active and always eating beans and cornbread, basically. So, yeah. Yeah, not a, hey, Ma, get some Snickers on the way to the store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, and, and that's the thing too. Even fifteen dollars an hour. I mean, if if we're talking like a person that you know is like in terms of like responsibility, they're not. If they are sexually active, they're not. You know, they're going out of the way to make sure they don't have kids and whatnot. And, and if their only financial responsibility is still their own, fifteen dollars an hour is still not enough to get an apartment. And and it sucks that the. the I mean, the last time I could like. We may have been the last generation to where you could, with with that low amount of money, with live one, on your own. Live on your own with one person working a minimum wage job. Yeah, and you can't do that today. Like today, you would have. It's like mandatory to get a, a roommate, and a roommate is fine uh, if you find the right person, of course. But um, but not everybody wants that not everybody should have to deal with that i'm sorry you know people do deserve alone time and if somebody is a person that does feel they want to live a solitary lifestyle damn it i'm sorry i don't think that should be unattainable i don't either i think people should be able to live alone if they want to or just with their family if they want to Yes, and, and 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 you get some people. Well, if if they just save their money and pay for it, look what's happening. Take a breath and don't listen to the corporate propaganda. You hear things are bad. I mean, it's just a the kind of person who says that, who says that poor people just need to work harder and pull up their bootstraps, come from a place of privilege. I refuse to believe they don't, um, or they've been very hurt. So what I also see from people is they don't want anybody else to get anything they didn't get because they are so hurt by the way they've been treated, maybe by their family, definitely by society. And um, so... it's To me, it's like people want to act like they're doctors. Why do I say that? Doctors, when they are first starting and they get out of med school and whatnot, they have a, essentially a probationary period that you know allows them to have long hours, but those long hours are spent you know with a, a, another surgeon kind of training them up to the point to where they can be on their own. And they do get paid. And they do get paid, but you know, people think that, you know, it, stuff, you know, they want to think that, you know, them their position is the same as a doctor. I mean, the doctor, that's part of how you become a doctor and that's that's part of the process. That's not something like you know, like like I'll bring up an example of me, my writing. Um, back in the day when I wrote my the first book, I wrote it longhand. And now with the word processor, I, I won't touch a pen if I don't have to. You know, and it's not because I don't have the ability of writing it longhand, it's just why you know why why would you do that and so sorry how does that relate what were you talking about again i forgot we were talking about poor people and i was saying the doctor thing yeah it's it's just you don't know poor people's circumstances people that you know say poor people should pull them up by the bootstraps you clearly are ignorant whether it's intentionally or unintentionally hurt or angry you know, they, they, what I hear a lot is that they, you know, I had to do without, it was good enough for me, it's good enough for them, I didn't have that, I didn't have those opportunities, I didn't have scholarships, or, I didn't have, I, you know, I had to walk uphill to school both ways, 10 miles, those, that kind of attitude 
like is like poor people shouldn't have the internet just go d- drop a paper application and w- I, I, what you know I don't even think McDonald's or Burger King have paper applications I Any anybody has paper applications anymore yeah so internet is a public utility one you know where th- that's a common thing you'll hear uh, you know that why are they having that and another thing too uh, in the 80s President Reagan, of all people, um, helped, signed into law this program that uh, essentially gave poor people that did not have the financial ability to have their own phone, gave them a phone. And, you know, up to the Obama, in the Obama administration, the program was expanded for very basic cell phone service because again we are the a cell phone is not a luxury anymore this is not we're not talking about something that you know you're, you're carrying that big box in your car or something like that it's a, or it's not like paulie dangerously back in wrestling when he brought this the cell phone to the ring and would hit people with it it's not like that a cell phone is very much a necessity and for most people has replaced their home phone so to so someone saying poor people shouldn't have that Fuck you. Now, now, now. Having said that, do do do. If if someone was having trouble paying the rent, but they had enough money every year for the brand new iPhone, then I would say maybe look at your priorities. But that's a different that's a different situation than they shouldn't have that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's just irresponsibility, and that's going to be punished by the universe the way that it is. Um, and you know, Lord knows, I've been through that situation enough times that. Uh, you know, you see the cycle. It doesn't take much when you're living on the edge, when you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're just servicing your debt. Um, it's stressful and stress creates cortisol and cortisol is very bad for your health. So you want to try to decrease the amount of cortisol in your system by not being stressed out. Um, so then you get health problems, other emergencies that crop up and can completely derail you. And it doesn't just And then what do you do? How do you go from absolute zero to something without somebody helping you? I don't know that you can go from absolute zero to something without somebody, whether it's the government or a friend or whoever saying, here's a, here's a hand up. And people get those without realizing they got a hand up, you know? People have this weird thing about not accepting charity, and I get not abusing that, but, but you know, if you are truly in need of the help and you use that help for a positive benefit, and ultimately you pay it forward somewhere down the line too, which is optional, you don't have to necessarily pay it forward, but paying it forward could, could just be you know, being more successful, like if someone helped you buy a car, you have a new car, thanks to that person helping you out, you know, and you may be the one responsible for the payments, but like if your parent is the one that signed, you know, co-signed a a car loan for you, that they helped you out. They seriously helped you out. And if you don't have that person who can co-sign something, loan you a hundred bucks, feed you dinner when you're hungry, it makes it so difficult to keep going. And I'm saying this as a person who has those kinds of supports. Yeah, it's, I mean, we, the country has to realize that, you know, we are a community. Um, in terms of beliefs, we do gotta, you know, I mean, we we are a community. We, you know, what happens to one person happens, uh, what affects one person affects us all. 
you know, and because it's like, um, you know, if, if, for example, when it comes to police treatment of minorities, if white people are not the ones standing up, what's going to stop the police one day, depending on who may be in office, from saying, why don't you start going after them, too? You know what I mean? The people that are not seeing anything now. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... What we have, we've we've had a couple of uh, popular movements recently, and we definitely have had anti-war movements in our history, both for the Iraq War, um, Desert Storm, Vietnam, etc. Yeah. Um, and it's it really feels like people, poor people, need to get together and organize for themselves. But the constant problem is that all stretched so thin and everybody's already so stressed out trying to survive how do you then organize for collective action and it's it's been done and I'm sure it can be done I think Portland is a place that it it could be done now Um, and we saw some of that with the rent reforms in Portland so there's lots of things landlords can't do now and lots of things they have to do now that weren't required before and that's because Chloe Udaly won a seat on the city council and she comes from a poor background so like we've I think if more if we see more success stories because we've got more helps and supports in place which I feel like we do if you know how to access them as a poor as a poor person who maybe wants to go to college I feel like there are supports there if you know how to get them um, and so sometimes people just need an advocate, somebody to just take their hand, sit with them, and and say, this is how this works. Like you did with me, going back to college. Because in 2018, I did apply at PCC, got accepted, of course, and, you know, didn't follow through uh, on that for various reasons, of course. But, you know, you helped me out with that. Yeah, and if you don't have that... I mean, it's just like when I was becoming a lawyer, there are no lawyers in my family. I was the first person to go to law school in my family. And um, as far as I know, I mean, there could have been a judge way back. I don't know. Um, Beauregard Baldwin. <laughs> yes, Judge Beauregard Baldwin. Um, and so for me, it was like difficult creating a professional persona because I didn't have that around to model. Mm-hmm. And so it's those mentors that I had in law school, those people who weren't related to me, who just cared, uh, who helped me forge that professional persona. Um, but, you know, that's a thing, too, that like unless you're exposed to something, you may not even think of as an option. And that's why it is important for us all to support each other if we can. I mean, realistically. I mean, because, again, what happens to one person, what affects one person affects us all. That's right, and a little kindness goes a long way. Yeah. Just make sure that you don't crowd around me in public. Man, see, Adel, the people here just don't know personal space. They really don't. Well, they have a different sense of it. You would really suffer in Asia, probably, because in terms of number of people, people per square inch, um, it's really on a different, completely different level than the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, too, like compared to Chicago, um, not not as busy. I've never been to New York. I'm sure it's the same way. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Chicago. Chicago I mean, Chicago is probably the 
comparable in size uh, to Seattle. I mean, not exact, of course, but um, in I don't know, maybe it's just Midwest type of thing. I you know I just still remember like the sidewalks being bigger. It felt like I don't know. <laughs> but it's so funny, Chicago is one of my least favorite places. I have grown to love it because I've known some people from Chicago, and so I like the Chicago feeling of those people. But as a city, when I go there, I feel like somebody's just going to run up behind me and smack me on the head with a lead pipe. Like it just feels like such a dangerous city for me, and I don't know why. It's funny. No, I mean for uh, for me, I, I the time I was there with my sister in two thousand one, um, we toured. Um, th- we went there and toured like some of the places where they filmed the Blues Brothers. So, like I and and the Fugitive, like they had some of the same uh, location shots and whatnot. But um, I mean, I love Chicago. I don't know if I would want to live there, um, especially because they have no trees. My God, they don't call it the Windy City as a joke, folks. Yeah, I really don't like Chicago. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's a very popular place for conferences because it's slab in the middle of the country and it's a big airport hub, but it is um, not, I don't, I don't get excited about going to Chicago. It's a place you visit, not a place you stay. I try to avoid visiting it. Sorry, all you Chicagoans. <laughs> Oh, we just lost Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, people should be glad. Like, if I heard people saying, like, Portland sucks, I'd just be like, that's so good that they're not coming here. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, but my Speaking goodness. of, so we are staying in the Belltown Inn in Seattle, which is in Belltown, which is just a little bit um, north, north, basically, of... Um, Pike Place and the Pier in Seattle, and um, it's a really great neighborhood. It feels a little transitional. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the story is, but um, we have enjoyed staying here. It's very close to everything. We've been able to get around, and but this morning, as we were taking um, a little siesta, uh, there was a guy outside the window screaming. Um, Seattle sucks. I hate Seattle. I'm going back to Miami. So, you know, everybody's opinion of a city is going to be different. I love Seattle. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think some people are just meant for certain types of weather. And for me, I love this type of weather. I mean, I you know, California... I was kind of miserable just because it was way too hot and I was way too married. But, you know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I just, I mean, for what we have in Portland, I think is, is perfect. Honestly, it's like never really too hot, never really too cold. If it does snow, it's not here for long at all. I never had a problem with snow back in Grand Rapids. Snow is fun, but snow is not so fun when you know it goes up to my knees and it's going horizontally because the wind is going so bad and it's 10 degrees and you have to keep doing your regular life what i love about snow in portland is it only lasts a couple of days but for those couple of days it's like the wild west anything could happen you can take your skis out on the street everybody's like drinking day drinking and fucking everywhere no. <laughs> and fucking in the streets it's just a good time <laughs> It's not like that when you have to go to school and go to work and figure out how you're going to get your car unstuck and like, you know, Portland, Portland, I think does it right. 
Yeah, yeah. We don't have to worry about black ice. We don't have to worry about uh, salt trucks or uh, being uh, the snow shovels are the worst because if you don't, if you forget the the they would they they would alternate on odd and even days what side of the road they would ultimately plow. And if you happen to forget, then they would love to like push all the snow onto your car. Mm -hmm. And then you you have to dig it out. Yeah, yeah. Because the snow doesn't melt. Yeah, yeah. So thanks God. No. Well, it's like in Portland, we say the rains are here. The rains came on such and such date or, you know, um, it's sort of like that with the snow in Grand Rapids, isn't it? Like you get a big snow and it's like, oh, that snow will be here until spring. Yep. 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 And uh, in there's about two weeks of great weather in late March, early April and two weeks of great weather in late September, early October <laughs> in Michigan. The rest just fucking sucks. So weird that people live there. It's so hot in Tennessee. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand why people live there. Uh, you know, Grand Rapids is a nice enough town. Um, it's, I mean, where I was born, so it'll always have a special place in my heart, of course. Um, was it the town for me? No. Because uh, I think th- th- you do have to find the right place for you. And just Grand Rapids wasn't it. Sacramento wasn't it. Portland has been it. And just yeah, because even if even if you're essentially a misanthropic recluse like me, you know, every now and then you still want to go out and being able to have basically in Portland, there are more places I that you know speak to me uh, that I can go to and have fun compared to other places that I've been to. And again, the weather, gotta love it. And I just love people's expression in Portland. Self-expression is. Um, a thing that makes you feel safe to express yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I think about Portland. Um, and, you know, my own privilege, right, is that I feel very safe in Portland, both, both like, physically safe, but also, like, emotionally safe to be myself and not have, have no one attack me for it and know that if anybody did, that bystanders would stand up for me. Yeah. And that, I really feel like that in Portland. Yeah, I mean, if you remember a few years back, it happened a couple mi- a miles from my apartment. Um, the, it, it was national news. Uh, there was uh, gentlemen. Uh, ev- every city has them. The loudmouth, ignorant bastard that rides public transit that starts yelling at people, and he started yelling at a couple of Muslim girls. And um, on the positive side, there were people that stood up for those girls. On the negative side, the guy had a knife, and we know what happened. Um, people ended up dead uh, at that point. But to your point, that was an extreme example. But to your point, Portland is the type of place that you will have people stand up and say that is not call- that is not called for. That is not that you don't do that in or this just, town. You know, even just to dist- distract them so somebody can get away, or like. I've had great interactions just on the street with strangers in Portland. I would say much more positive interactions than I've had with than negative interactions. I, I would say so myself. And, and again, like <laughs> you see me walk in public I, with my anxiety being what it is. Um, I, I, I tend to just be laser focused on getting to where I need to go. And yet in Portland, I don't necessarily feel that level of anxiety. I mean, it's even from day one, you know, it helped with the ladies with the painted chest and all the drag queens on <laughs> the day I arrived. But it's still, it, it, there, it, I mean, if you're, if you are a Portland resident and you love Portland, you know what I'm talking about. But it's, it's a tough thing to explain because it does 
feel home, it does feel right, and not you know th- that. Maybe other people feel that way in Grand Rapids or in Knoxville. Most, just, most certainly, they show up there and they're like, "Oh my God, this is where I belong," or they they live they were born there and they're like, "This is where I belong. This is where I'm happy." And you know, more power to them. I'm not saying everybody needs to move to Portland. Please don't. Hmm. But um, I'm just saying I found that in Portland, and I really noticed it when I moved across the river to Vancouver. Just doesn't have the same feel, and really wanted to get back to Portland because that's where I had chosen to live, and um, I'm excited that I'm that I'm back in Portland now. Me too. Yeah. Um, you know, I you know for, I I was in a spot where I had to move to Vancouver and um, you know move in with Kim, and I very much you know to, to the to my dying day I will be eternally grateful, and you know that that you know she was able to help me out in a, in a tight spot by you know get, letting me have a place to live, you know. Um, Vancouver though is made for people that do have cars. <laughs> it just is. Yep. And um as someone who did not have a car, that really in that really limited what I could do in that town and just um for me I don't like cars. I I just don't. I mean, I can drive them and I'm sure at some point again I will get my license and drive a vehicle again. I have no doubt about it, but I much prefer not to. <laughs> That's why another reason why I love Portland, you know. And I, and I'm, I know I've talked about um, like the mayor of Portland in, in the in the past, and I don't like the guy. But you know, I, one, I don't think he should be publicly doxxed like somebody did on Twitter the other day. There is no call for that whatsoever. And two, come election time. You know, there may be another choice. You know, like we supported Sarah in a row last time for mayor. That did not work out. Hopefully, um, I, I think, you know, the, the numbers showed she had a real chance if the other person... The w- Teresa Rayford writing campaign wasn't happening? Yeah, if if that nonsense was not around, we would have a new mayor. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how much change would have been done by now. Probably not much because it does take time to it make... Does, but the response to the pandemic probably would have been totally different and the response to the street protests last summer probably would have been very different um and and the whole police situation etc yeah 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 so anyway that's yeah i love portland let's talk about something so positive we're, we're in seattle and it's become a little love letter to portland um and that's the great thing about traveling Lots of things happen um, for me when I travel, and one of them is that I always get really excited to return to the city that I love. Um, but also, I just feel like it, it it relieves some of that that day to day just to be in a new place um, or a different place for a little while, and gives you a little bit of fresh energy. Um, so hopefully, we have done that for ourselves by our little trip to Seattle this weekend. This is definitely a memory I will never forget. I'll tell you that. You know, just uh, being able to experience what we experienced today um, on on sacred ground. (laughs) You know, just, yeah. I'll never forget that. Yep, very good day. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and, and for me, I guess the reason why I felt I had to go there and the reason why I felt I needed to share that on my birthday episode, you know, because you would think normally a birthday episode is just going to be all fun, happy stories. But, you know, I've been open about my struggles with depression, I guess. And I guess for me, this is just a reminder 
you know, that, of choosing life, mm. you know, because, you know, suicide, like if, if I really wanted to do it, it could be done. Anybody can say that, you know, but, you know, just, it's just a matter of keep fighting. Just, you know, the, what I, what I will never forget about, you know, what we experienced today was just, and, you know, we listened back to it a couple of times, but just how peaceful it was. And, you know, I, I think what made me cry more than anything was just thinking, like, I, like I, like I wish I could have gone back. You know, everybody said that Corny would love wish, you know, would wish that and and whatnot. But it's just like it didn't need to happen, but because it happened, good can come from it. And and I'm sure good has come from it. Yeah. And I think for me, especially with the last couple of years being what they were, the fact that, you know, I've had this opportunity, I think I'm very grateful that it happened. And like you say, you never know what's going to, you never know what is right around the next corner. You really, really don't. Because, um, yeah, we talked, I mean, th- th- this show, in terms of what we did to the, the places that we visited with, uh, in regards to Kurt Cobain, the, the, we opened up the show at the apartment he lived in in Olympia, Washington. And that, that like, the, that apartment with my credit report i could probably just barely get in there <laughs> it wasn't a nice place but it had history and it wasn't more than 4 years later he's living in a nice place off of lake washington you don't know what's going to happen and i i think too it's just important for me to just keep fighting you know that that, that means for me you know one big thing is you know continuing to put effort into the show you know the um you know and and also continuing on with my writing um i haven't announced this publicly yet but um my first book i have i am going to remove it from the smash words catalog it will no longer be for sale because i am rewriting it that's right you're rewriting it with a completely different process this time yes um i up to this point with this rewrite, I've been what writers call a pantser, the type of person that writes off, off the seat of their pants. You know, um, just, just you know, I was the type that, you know, start starting the rough draft, the first draft was, was what I wrote. I did not outline at all. I resisted it for the longest time until college <laughs> and a uh, screenwriting class and um i don't know if the teacher cared for me or not i don't care but um because <laughs> you can tell when people get annoyed but um but the one thing she did taught was how they um outline in tv shows um when when they do the script because you know you can't be a pantser and work in hollywood you have to go by an outline just because time wise you can't sit there for three days wondering what the next scene's going to be. You have to figure that out now to pound out that script to get it turned in within a week or less. And what they do in Hollywood... Because everybody else has got to do their jobs too. So the costumers and the props and the production and the gaffers and the, uh, you know, production artists, all of those people have to be working on it simultaneously. Yes. So what they do is do what they call a beat sheet. And what is a beat sheet? It's like, you know, if you open up with a scene of two people talking in a kitchen and then one person walks out of the room and then the camera follows them into that room 
that's the second beat. If that if it then cuts to another scene with completely new people, that's a third beat. If those people walk into a different room, it's you, you get the concept of beats. It's just same thing with a novel, just working out the various you know beats, plot points. plot points, the beats that you have in the particular chapter. So right now I'm in chapter nine of the outline process, and then once the whole outline is complete, then I start work on the novel. But the novel writing process, once I do begin that will be so much faster because I got the outline. I've you know this is this is a blueprint. This is you know like what engineer is just going to you know order all the supplies and then build it just just by the seat of his pants you know and like now to be clear with writing you can get away with being a pantser. But let's be honest, the outliners are the ones that are probably going to get work more often because by outlining, by doing what they're doing, they're going to be a lot more efficient and be able to create a lot more content. Yeah, I mean, I think that writing, because it's something that we all learn to do when we're very young and it's relatively cheap medium and utilizes language, which, you know, humans are uniquely, maybe uniquely, who knows, um, doing... Um, I think a lot of people use writing for self-expression in a way and then so you can use writing for self-expression but you also use writing as tools maybe to tell a story or to give some information and that's a different kind of writing process I think and I, and I think it calls for a formal process where you're actually following a plan. Um, to accomplish something that's what i think sets it apart sets professional writing away from um i'm just i'm just a, i'm just writing and that's uh, you know the the for people that do have uh, the few people that do have copies of time to play the game uh the first version of it i mean that was a, a pants or novel uh let's call it what it is I love the idea. I will go to my grave knowing that that idea was is a great idea that if executed properly will be successful. How successful I don't know. But, you know, that what what people currently have is just a draft and, you know, I'm, you know, finally at a point where it it something finally clicked to where it's like I get it I can go ahead and, and redo because I was resisting for the longest time I was like I'll just focus on a second book and blah you know blah. but the first book does me so much it was the first novel I completed I mean I, I hand wrote the damn thing and then like I finished uh, like like I was on the last chapter of handwriting it and um, it was like I knew I had to finish it that night and I did and I stayed up to about 3 o'clock in the morning and then I um, just started like crying happy crying uh, just like yeah, run around the house, you know, like like uh, like I was like Rocky in the montage oh, <laughs> training nice. montage. So nice. Because nice. yeah, because I mean, anybody that has written uh, any sort of you know nonfiction or fiction writing, but we're talking a book size thing. Anybody that has done that, regardless of the quality, I applaud you because that takes work. You know so. Anyway, um, Anchor here is letting me know that we are reaching the one hour limit because we're recording the beauty of Anchor. The reason I love that we're with them now is that we do have uh, the ability to do some remote, remote recording. We're recording on our phone, but they do have one hour limit. So we'd have to stop the recording here and we're going to give you another musical interlude and then we'll be back. How's that sound? That sounds great. Yeah, we'll have a, a brief conclusion to this birthday weekend spectacular. So stay tuned. 
Yes, when you hear us next, I am, we are going to be talking to a dear, dear friend of mine that is as close to a brother as I will ever have, but I've never met him in person. Isn't that amazing? I can't wait to meet him. Yes. All right. So kick back, relax, enjoy this musical interlude, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now 1.21 in the morning as we speak. The professor and I are in a vehicle heading back to Portland. We are still in downtown Seattle as we speak, but um, I think both of us were thinking of our bed like our mother's wombs. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, we were both like avoiding going to sleep because we knew we weren't going to get good sleep. Um, So we decided, hey... Why not drive back while there's no Seattle City traffic and there's no traffic on the interstate? And, um, you know, we weren't sleepy anyway, so here we go. Yeah, and overall, I had a really, really fun trip. I'll say that. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear it. Fifth Avenue Theater. Ooh. Um, But, yeah, just... I, I, like I, like, I mean, we talked about this privately before and listen to me stutter already. It's like one twenty-two, so forgive me. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's like Seattle is a great place to visit. I yeah. don't know if I would want to live here. I agree completely. I think Seattle is a fun place to come to the big city. Like it's, it's big enough that it feels like a big city, but it's smaller than Chicago. Um, so I enjoy it as a city. I just am not a city person. I'm way more of a country person, um, though I do enjoy both. Yes, uh, the city has made you soft, right? <laughs> the city has made me soft. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm like my goodness, like my feet are like so soft and and like soft and everything like that. Like I couldn't, like I can't walk outside in bare feet. I mean, you've seen me, I think. Walk well, out and barefoot. I love to be barefooted outside in the in the grass. Yes, so... Oh, I just ran a red light. Whoops. <laughs> well, we're on the highway now. So this birthday weekend is coming to a close here. And I wanted to thank you all for listening to my 45th birthday celebration. 45th birthday celebration podcast oh yeah yes and we even sing for you here folks so um yeah it's it's 124 right now i'm kind of tired um i would we did tentatively have plans to meet up with a friend of mine tomorrow but um those are gonna have to be rescheduled for a later date because sleep is better sleep is always better yeah so Overall, uh, Seattle, definitely a great town. And, like, if I, uh, honestly, too, like, if, we, if I even got, like, super rich, I don't even know if I would move then, you know? Oh, I wouldn't move to Seattle if I got super rich. I would just be really rich in Portland. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't know, just something about this place. It's too big for my taste, and I'm generally a city boy. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a, a slight bit too big. Yeah, so, uh, that, yeah, so, Seattle, though, uh, we're just driving by T-Mobile Park, as we said at the beginning of the show here, that's where WrestleMania 19 occurred, history, professional wrestling history, all along the highway. All along 
way. Yeah, I mean, we passed by the Tacoma Dome as well, and that has had a few memorable uh, wrestling events that have happened there. Indeed. Yes, so, anyway, just wanted to wrap it up here. Um, Once again, thank you all for listening to my 45th birthday celebration. Um, (laughs) uh, As as anybody that's listened to the show uh, for any amount of period knows, we can go all over the place, and we went all over the place on this particular show, um, especially with uh, who the... The, the sacred grounds that we went to, especially the one in Seattle, um, you know, with Kurt Cobain's last uh, home and whatnot. So we're definitely all over the place. But again, fun. Yeah, had a really great time. All right. So <laughs> for the third time, we're going to wrap it up. So for real this time, thank you all for listening every Wednesday and Saturday. We're going to have something to entertain your ear holes in this podcast space. We bid you adieu. Adieu. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.